1 Samuel 23, verse 16. And when Jonathan, King Saul's son, heard that his father was going to find David in the village of Hares, and upon finding him, he would kill him. Jonathan, King Saul's son, he arose, and he went to David in the wood, and he strengthened his hand in God. He helped him find strength in God. It was 40 years later, 45 years later, that David was writing the 23rd Psalm. And I wonder if he went back 45 years earlier to this one singular visit that Jonathan made to him. And I wonder if the echoes of that visit are found in 23rd Psalm. Because the 23rd Psalm, as I've said before, is the psalm most requested when someone is dying. Pastor, would you read the 23rd Psalm? Can I hear it from your voice? And it's the most requested reading at any funeral service I've ever done. Because the 23rd Psalm helps an individual be reminded that their strength comes from God. That there is no storm, there is no nightmare, there is no terrorist activity on Satan's part or a human being's part or your own parts. There is no act that is beyond the Good Shepherd's realm to be there. 23rd Psalm is written in order to help you and I find strength in God. And so it has for trillions of Christians throughout all these centuries since it was first written 900 B.C. But I wonder if David remembered 45 years earlier when it was Jonathan, King Saul's son, and he came to David there in the woods, and he sat him down, and he said, I've come to visit you, David. I've not come to give you money. I've not come to write you a map as to how you can escape my father. I've not come to give you a therapy session. I have come for one reason. I have come to help you find strength, not in myself. I've, I've come to help you find strength in God. I want to remind you that God is there. And I can imagine Jonathan saying to David, Hey, David, my good friend, you remember when you were 10 years of age and the mountain lion came in and stole one of your sheep? You remember what you did as a 10-year-old? You didn't go running to your father, Jesse. You went after the lion because you knew God was with you. And two years later, when you're 12 years of age and the bear comes and steals one of your sheep, what did you do, David? Who did you know was with you? And David there in the woods said, I knew God was with me. And he said, the same God is with you. The same God who helped you with the lion and the bear, that same God is with you. And David, 10 years ago, when you're 15 years of age, and King Saul says, okay, you can go out and fight Goliath, but here's all of my armor. You're going to need this armor. And you said to Saul, I don't need the armor. Do you remember what you said to Saul as to the reason you didn't need the armor? And David said, yeah, I told him that God was with me. And I can see Jonathan saying to David, is that same God with you? 
And then David, in the midst of his fear and his worry and his anxiety and his hopelessness, David had that moment when he saw the history of what God had done in his life. David found strength in God, and that is why Jonathan came on that day to help remind him of who was with him. My father, 1976, 46 years ago when I'm ready to go off on vicarage, my my father gave me a book, it's called My Hand in His. 46 years later, I still use it for devotions when I call on people. I've been through five different books, but it's always the same book. And so many in this congregation have heard devotions from that book. My father said to me, the most important thing you'll ever do in your ministry is not the sermons. As important as they are to touch people's lives, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing you will ever do in your ministry is to visit one human being who is in need. And when you go to that one human being who is in need, you'll not be talking to them about sports or the weather. You'll be bringing to them God. And you will help them find strength in the fact that God is with them, that His promises are real, is the most important thing you'll ever do. He said, Paul, never, never, never stop visiting Never find excuses that you're too busy with other stuff. Never stop visiting. And may you never make a visit without sharing with them a devotion from this book. Because your visit will be bringing God to them. Forty-six years ago, and those words still echo in my mind. And those visits still occur. And in those visits, who do I bring? God. It's a dear, dear lady in this congregation. I've known her and her family for some 35 years. For the last few weeks, I've told Connie, if we have a free night this week, if there's not a ball game or a cheerleading thing going on or a meeting going on, If I've got a free night, I've got a whole bunch of people sitting in my head. And I'm going to go see them. Seven o'clock in the evening, I go knocking on someone's door, someone in this congregation, who I haven't seen for a while, or who has gone through difficult times. And I ring their doorbell, and there I stand, and I say, can I come in? Can I talk with you for ten minutes, or is this not a good time? And invariably, 99% of the time, they'll say, come on in. And when I come on in, I ask them, how are you doing? Is everything all right? How's your health? How's, how's the job? How are relationships going? And I end up, every visit, some of them 15 minutes and some of them an hour and a half, I end up every visit by talking to them about the God who's been with them in the past. And having been here for 34 years and knowing so many of you guys in this congregation, 
I can go back 15 years and I can say, hey Mary, do you remember 15 years ago when this was going on and you thought there was no hope and there was no way out? Who was with you? Can you remember the way out that God provided? Is that same God with you now? Is that same God with you now? I made a visit this past week to this dear, dear lady. And when she found out that she had cancer X number of weeks ago, like four months ago, she said, Pastor, I do not want you to come by. I do not want you to come by. I know you're going to want to do that, but I don't want you to come by because I'll get too emotional and, and I don't, I don't want to be talking about my illness. Don't come by. And I say, you got a deal there. I won't come by. But you better send me updates on a regular basis as to what's going on with your treatments. And indeed she did. Every couple of weeks there would be the update. But last week she sent a update. And she said, when I went in for my scan, the tumor is larger than it was before they started the treatment. And I don't think I have ever been lower in my life than I am at this moment. And I said to Connie, I'm going to go buy the house. And I rang her doorbell. And there she stood. And she said, I was so much hoping that you'd come by. I was trying to figure out how I could get you to come by when I told you not to come by. And after that hour visit, she said, I can't tell you what it's meant. You reminding me that God is with me as He has always been. I can't tell you what that means to me. Your reminder that God is here. Visits on this earth, some of them are trivial. Although I don't think any visit really is trivial. Because when you see an individual and you're visiting with them over the backyard fence or your auto mechanic or whoever it might be, whenever you make a visit, what are you saying? I like seeing your face. I like hearing your voice. I like being around you. No visit becomes trivial. But there are some visits that are of such crucial, crucial importance that they can make a life or they can mar a life. When Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Why did he say that? What does he mean? He means this. I've told you many, many times that you're no different than I am. When God puts someone in my mind and heart to visit, that's God putting them there. That's God saying something going on in that person's life and you know them. They're either a friend or they're a member or maybe they're a relative of a member. You know them. I'm putting them in your mind because they need you to come and see them. 
God knows such things. You are no different than I am. God puts names in your head. They may be family members, they may be friends, they may be someone you haven't seen in three years, and all of a sudden God is putting them in your head. And you don't sit and say, God, why are you putting this person in my head? God has his reasons. And when he puts someone in your head or your heart, he's asking you to go see them. It's a divine appointment. And when Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them, why wouldn't it be that way? If God has put their name in your head, and you go and visit them, who are you taking with you? Taking God himself. It's an appointment not made by some doctor. It's an appointment made by God himself, and he wants you to go. You got Jonah in the Bible, right? And God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And and I can see Jonah saying, why don't you let Isaiah or Jeremiah handle this one? I don't want to handle this one. I got a history with them. My family has a history with them. And God said, I know you have a history with them. That's why I've chosen you. I know how much you hate them. That's why I've chosen you. And Jonah says, I'm not going. You might have a divine appointment, but I'm not signing up for this visit. You know how that story goes. He ends up going, does he not? And he preaches to 120,000 people in the capital of Assyria. And do you remember how it ends? 120,000 people came to faith in Jehovah God. And the king, the mayor of Nineveh said, There is no God save Jonah's God, and we shall worship him. Visits appointed by God, not for Pastor Shower, not for me, not for Andrew Montgomery, not for the teachers. Divine appointments by God to you for someone in your life that God knows at this moment in time needs your presence. You know how this goes, right? You say, too busy, sorry. Uh, Does God remove the name? No. It's two weeks later, the name is still in your head. And you're trying like the Dickens to forget about that name because you really don't want to go and you really are too busy. But God just builds up the guilt. Your visit can make a person's life or it can mar a person's life. When you're there in the hospital and you've been diagnosed with some illness, whose face do you want to see? Forget family members. Whose face do you want to see? The doctor. The doctor. And when that doctor come walking into the room, you're just kind of gasping for breath. You can't believe he's here. you got a million different questions you want to ask him. The visit of the doctor to you. Your visit to someone. Divine appointments set by God. Who was it in your life? 
Who was it in your life? Do you know the sermon hymn that we just sang? I always get emotional when we sing it because I know the man. And so does Kathy Gleagy. He was a professor of ours at Concordia College up in River Forest. And at the end of a particular school year, he's up there and all of a sudden his papers spill to the ground and and all of a sudden the pen that he's holding, it drops to the ground. And we're just kind of shaking our heads. And when we come back the next fall, we realize he's been diagnosed with MS. And he comes in a wheelchair. And he says, you know, I don't know how long God's going to let me keep teaching you. But I'll never give up on God. Never give up on Him. And I'll never let you give up on Him. He wrote poetry. He's a published poet. That's what he taught at Concordia. And that hymn that you just sang. God transform my stubborn clay. That hymn was written by him after he was diagnosed. I visited him one day in his office. And I remember he was in tears and I was in tears. And and he said, Paul, you'll remember this visit with me for the rest of your life. And so I have. And in that visit, it was him reminding me that God would always be with me. He said, Paul, there will be storms that come into your life if you live long enough. And you must remember when the storm comes, you must remember what I'm telling you now, that God is with you in the storm. You find your strength from him. When Jonathan became ill, What visit did I remember? The visit to a man just diagnosed with MS, Henry Letterman. Who was it for you? Was it some coach? Was it your grandma? Was it an uncle? Was it a therapist? Teacher? Who was it? What visit do you remember in your lifetime? That you say now, so many years later, thank you God for sending that person on that day. Divine appointments. I was in fourth grade, Del Rio, Texas. I was sick for a week. There was a knock on the door. I don't think they had doorbells back then. There was a knock on the door, and I remember my mom saying, Mrs. Fricky. I was lying in my bed, and I heard her say that. Mrs. Fricky was my fourth grade teacher. I had been gone for three days. And she came knocking on the door. And she said, can I talk to Paul? She came walking into the bedroom, and she was only there for 10 or 12 minutes. She wasn't talking to me about homework or anything else. She was just talking to me. I missed you. Never forgot the visit 60 years later. Never forgot the visit 
of my fourth grade teacher. God said when he saw Adam sitting there in the garden and he saw the sadness over Adam's face, he said, I made a mistake here. I've created everything, but there is no one for Adam. And there the words came out of God's mouth, it is not good for man to be alone. In his final parable, Jesus said, You fed the hungry, you gave drink to the thirsty, you put clothes on the naked. You visited those in prison, the prison of loneliness. You visited them. I sent out my monthly stewardship letter, and in that letter I wrote down, study in Harvard University indicates that almost 40% of all Americans, 60% of young adults, 50% of all mothers with small children, they feel serious, debilitating loneliness. The hungry and the thirsty are there all around us. They're hungry and thirsty because something going on in their life and they don't have anybody. They feel alone. When God puts them in your mind and heart, that's the hungry. That's the thirsty. And he's saying to you, the most important thing I've given you on this earth is time. It's time. Your time. When I put it in your head to join the choir, that time, the choir is not for you, it's for the other ones that are there. Because if that choir didn't exist, those who sing in the choir they wouldn't have that small group. If I put in your mind to come to LWML, that's not for you, it's for the other ladies there who get to share the time with you that you have allowed. If there is a small group that God is beckoning to you to come to, that's God saying to you, can you give of your time? Because if you don't, this small group won't exist. And this person who so much needs this group, they won't have any group to come to. You see what I'm saying? Most important thing you have on this earth is time. How will you use it? Divine appointments set by God for you and me. In our Savior's name, amen. Heavenly Father, hungry and thirsty, and I can bring my presence into their life. But more importantly, when I visit them, I will remind them of who is with them. They hunger for companionship. They also hunger for a faith that is stronger than their fears. And I can be that vehicle, Lord, to bring that reminder of the God who opens the waters of the Red Sea. Lord, may we be blessed whenever we visit an individual, be it a trivial little visit over the backyard fence, or whether it be a visit of great, great significance 
when something has entered that person's life that could utterly destroy them, may I bring my presence and may I bring the truth of God and his promises. Such things we ask in our Savior's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.